Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. All right, so we're back. I've been off doing some podcasts for a couple of months, and we're going to begin to investigate sober living and rehab, fraud, body brokering, and kickbacks and all kinds of fun stuff. But um, without any further ado, we're going to bring on Patrick Gavin Church, and here we go. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Monica. How Welcome are to the Patrick, show. I'm Patrick good. Gavin Church here. Thank you so much for having me on today. You're welcome. It is my pleasure. Uh, so uh, this is. Uh, let's go in. A lot of people don't know even the difference between a rehab and a sober living. So how about we just start with that? Let's uh, explain to the listener out there what, what is the difference what? between. Is the, the difference is regulated, unregulated, um, trained professionals, untrained professionals. Um, and the biggest difference and the biggest struggle that the community has is in the fact that 99% of most people do all their homework and research via the Internet today. And there is very little rules or regulations uh, up until recently, the last year or so, that regulates how you advertise. Um, Over the last couple of years in the rehab industry, there was a lot of false advertising being promoted, meaning if you dialed into this one website, you you know, it's really just a marketing company, and they didn't care really who your client was or who your loved one was. They were just going to drive you towards who was going to pay them the largest referral fee for somebody desperate for help. So. so, so when you have things, so you know, it had pictures, and you know, you're you're now experiencing the same thing in the recovery and you know in the sober living industry because a lot of sober livings claim to be things that they're truly not. Um, mm-hmm. There's one one sober living that I'm very familiar with in Covina, California, um, and the owner um, Carl Morris and the Plenty House. As you know, you go to you know their uh, Facebook page, or you go to their um, you know other social media pages. They list themselves as a drug and alcohol treatment center, or as a drug treatment center, when in fact all they are is a sober living. Um, mm-hmm. And when you have a sober living, a sober living by the, by law is only supposed to be six uh, like-minded people that are supposed to be you know, suffering from the same problem. Um, and, you know, that's um, – the problem is, is that that's, you know, when you're a protected class, one of the things that, that's really important is, A, I, I think having protection for people that are in need is really important. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I own a home and I'm a sober, you know, member of a 12-step community and I want to invite other people like me in to live in that home, and, you know, um, that's great. That's a good thing. But when mm-hmm. I start to rent property or buy property and treat it like a business, um, you have more oversight and regulations when it comes to people uh, going to get their nails done. 
you know, right. um, or getting right. a hair or getting a haircut. So you've got people that are being, you know, uh, checked into sober livings under the guise that that to end all catch all, um, you know, in regard to how you and maintain sobriety. And you know, in my own personal opinion, sometimes I think it's very, very. You've got crack addicts guarding the crack house or overseeing or policing. You know, one of the things is, in, you know, in watching your movie, you know, the uh, the 13th Step movie is when you have people that want to self-police, um, the police, uh, the, the policing is always going to be as good as the integrity of the person doing it. Right. And, you know, that's that's where we find where a lot of people get confused with, because I've been around for a long time, doesn't mean, you know, I'm doing a good job. You know, and, you know, one of the things in our nation that, you know, we've really struggled with is, you know, whether it's the Black Lives Movement or it's, you know, uh, Blue Lives Movement is, you know, there's good cops and there's bad cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the reason you have oversight for all of those people is so that, you know, there can be some accountability. So when you check into a sober living or to a treatment facility, you expect those people to have a certain level of cadorum and, and, and professionalism. You know, that really doesn't, yeah. doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, that so, doesn't, even the part about uh, when you're talking about sober living uh, being unregulated, actually rehab is pretty unregulated too. Like, you know, you could make that comparison with the nail place uh, that there are more uh, things to open a nail place than there is a rehab in the state of California. Now, maybe not a medical uh, detox slash rehab, but for that, um, it's... But, you might yeah, they're both up, pretty you, bad. You know, I mean, but the sober living, there aren't there's no regulations, right? I mean, zero, zero. You have zero regulations, zero, absolutely zero. And and so, but it, once again, when you think about the treatment facilities, is if you, you know, and I haven't done the research on this yet, and I'm and I'm starting to compile some of the numbers. When you look at um, the organizations that give the certification, is if I want to be a doctor. I've got to uh-huh. go to undergraduate school. I then have to do a, a medical school and then an intern, and then I finally get my doctor's license. Or right. if I want to go to law school, um, I've got to uh, usually go to undergraduate school, and then I go to, uh, to law school, and then I have to pass the bar before you know, I can you know, uh, become considered a professional or to be licensed to, to actually conduct myself as a professional. If I want to be in real estate, once again, I'm selling houses or renting houses, is I, it requires me to have a real estate license. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they do a, a, a moral and a background check. And a lot of people don't get their uh, real estate license if they've had some kind of moral imperpetude because, once again, when you're going into, you know, people's homes, which is a very, you know, the most sacred place for most people, but yet, mm-hmm. hold a second, I'm now going to place you in a home where somebody's going to have control and oversight of you, but they have no training, zero, mm-hmm. other than they might be, they might be 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days sober longer than you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's an uh, organization that just started up recently called the National Sober Living Association. Um, and one of the is when it talks about its requirements, and I'm going to read from right from their website. If you own or operate a quality 12-step absent-based recovery or sober living homes, you're eligible for membership in the, national, in the NSLA. Membership identifies your, living, your sober living home as being safe, clean, well-managed, and ethical. <laughs> now, that, that's, that's a big – so, yeah, so what you mean is uh, – well, uh, once again, is one, you know, Carl Morse is involved in this, and one of the things that's very interesting about this is you know, um, applicants should prepare their membership material first, then complete the application form – and pay membership dues. Once application payment has been received, the application will be contacted, set up an appointment for inspection, ensure that your house is fully prepared to meet the NSO safety, health and safety and management requirements described below. Um, following a successful inspection, the, the board of the NSL will identify your house as a healthy, safe, well-managed, and ethical. Once you have met all membership requirements, inspection of your house will be placed on the NSL website, receive referral services, and a membership certificate will be issued. The following membership requirements. Um, and I'm just going to go down a couple pages here. 
to, num to line number four, it says, assures that all involved in the sober living house operations and management complete the NSL training within one year of membership application. So they take your money, they certify you as being mm -hmm. ethical and well-run and clean and all these things with a one-hour or a half-hour inspection. And they're really, you know, they've got other regulations or, you know, criteria that they're talking about. Like uh, if you've got six residents, well, you know, in the pointing house, they've got 28 residents. So 28 residents means if you're own, if one of the requirements is you have to have for every six residents, you have to have a uh, bath and a shower. So that means there would have to be at least five bathrooms and showers. There's only three. So once again, they don't even meet, you know, the board members, Houses aren't even meeting that criteria. So, so how do you get them you know, shut down? Again, like who who oversees it, Patrick, um, well, to well, shut well, them down? Well, that that's where you know what's interesting is the city and the state and the community. Um, mm -hmm. I've helped a couple of uh, residents, com community residents, be able to shut down some sober livings because you know they went in and you know in the cloak of the night. Um, most times, most sober living homes don't tell anybody that they're a sober living home. They don't go knock on the door and say, I'm looking at either renting or buying this property, and I'm going to open up a sober living. Um, that just doesn't happen. It's what happens is they usually buy the place, open it up, and then they say, hey, you can't stop me from renting out rooms or beds. Now, once again, when you talk about a four-bedroom, um, in Covina, uh, there's another property that's called, um, it will come to be Cornerstone. Mm -hmm. Cornerstone has been shut down by the by the city of Covina once. It's now moved over to another community called Azusa. They've got a four-bedroom house, and it houses 20 residents. So do the math. Wow. wow. And 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 what one of the one of one of the bedrooms is reserved for a manager. So they're putting 20 people either in garages or in uh, living rooms uh, to accommodate. Really, because it's not about recovery, it's about money. You know, um, when I talk about the pointing house, the pointing house at one point in time, to the best of my recollection, had a you know, conditional use permit for 20 beds. Right. So they, they, today in that same house, they have 28 beds. So 28 beds, so I multiply eight times uh, $700, which is what uh, Mr. Morris charges the residents, is that's going to be an extra four thousand dollars of gross profit into his pocket? So, so when we talk about you know how you shut them down, is the neighborhood has to complain, and uh -huh. other people in the community has to complain. Now, the the challenge with that is there's so many people that you know the opiate addiction and the opiate crisis is so rampant throughout North America today, and it's such a, an epidemic problem that the, the demand is much greater than the supplies and beds. So people are you finding been, out you know, there, Patrick, that that's true, or are you just really getting people, the average uh, Jack and Jane um, drinker and drug user, that there isn't the heroin like what we're seeing in the South Bay? Um, is there really that demographic out there, or is it just a, a drinker and a, you know, other the drinkers out there? Um, I'm sorry, what, but I'm just trying what, to get the demographic out there. It doesn't what, seem to be that, like... Well, yeah, that's a that's a great question and a great great point. Is you know, once again, is a we've got the self-admitted people. Um, we then have the influx of of um, AB 109 being you know introduced into the community, which is you know people that have claimed to have a drug or alcohol problem that are then forced to go into a sober living and then forced to go to 12-step meetings in the community when they might not have you know they might have been drunk and committed a, a violent crime. Um, you know, but yet they're going to be considered to be having an addiction problem. Some of them may or may not. Now, some of them go into these programs because it's it's less costly for the state to fund them, you know, at seven hundred or a thousand dollars a bed than it is mm -hmm. to actually keep to imprison them. And then once again, is you've got these people that may or may not be an alcoholic or a you know a drug addict, and they're being forced into the community, um, depending on on, on what that where that community is. Um, mm -hmm. and where they're re reintroduced into the community. So you've got a lot of people that are now being forced into 12-step programs that don't necessarily want to be there under the guise of that. And once again, right. these houses these mm -hmm. houses are, you know, 
in residential neighborhoods. You know, usually when you talk about board and care facilities, a board and care facility um, you usually means if you have more than six residents that aren't related. You know, and then you have to have certain you know fire you know uh, fire suppression systems. You've got to have a certain kitchen size. You know, hmm. one of the, the requirements for National Silver Living Association, if you have, you know, for every six residents, you've got to have a refrigerator. Uh, that almost never happens because it's, oh, really? again, you got 20, yeah, if you got 20, well, because how, where am I going to keep my food? If it's, it's, right, right, you know, right, right. they're not peanuts. So, so, and, you know, one of the points is, and, you know, this goes on whether it's in Malibu or in, San Gabriel Valley in Covina, California, because it's, once again, there's just as much money at the lower end of the spectrum than there is at the top of the spectrum. Is Louis Vuitton makes a lot of money, and so does Walmart. Walmart actually makes more, um, right. and because because of the demand, because it's a lot easier to find a property and place people that can afford to put in, um, pay five hundred to seven hundred dollars a month. Um, and once again, a lot of times these, these people are actually released from court to these properties. Um, so you've got the court system um, and the parole system leaning heavily on the 12-step program and the 12-step community um, for reintegration. You know, this is awful. Thir- 30, yeah, it is awful. Oh 30 years God. ago, 30 years ago, when you got out of prison or, um, or jail early, you had to go to a halfway house. Yeah, and you know the the halfway house had all kinds of rules and regulations, and you know had usually had somebody you know a, a full time manager you know that may or may not have lived on there. He you know he was he actually worked for the state. Um, you Isn't know, it like I, that it, old it lady in Shawshank Redemption? Remember when he gets yeah. out and he goes to the correct house? You have that old lady there. I don't think they have a lot correct. of those like old ladies where you just kind of. You I mean you got the sense that the guy it was a room, and maybe you had yeah, to be in at a certain time. But um, maybe you know it's funny. I'm looking up. I looked up right away. So this reentry services, right? Um, yeah. Public safety realignment AB 109 that we all foolishly yeah. probably said yes to any anybody who wasn't. Um, on the right, I don't know. But it's really scary because it talks about these individuals are eligible for local supervision if their most recent conviction was nonviolent, non-serious. Hmm, what do they mean by that, non-sexual offense? In addition to those being supervised by probation, as PRCS, additional offenders are serving their sentences in our local court. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But many of these offenders will eventually serve a portion of their local time under supervision, mandatory supervision, so what it says, these people are going into sober livings, Patrick? Is that what you're saying to me? Correct. Yes, those people are going That's right pretty outrageous. Yeah, they're, they're well, using... Now, wait, 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 now, now, hold on now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, that's really... I mean, I do know that already, but it's still shocking for me to hear it. Well, here I'm going to read another paragraph from the National Sober Living Association's website. The yeah. National Sober Living Association... Accepts applications from absent and 12-step based sober living homes and recovery centers interested in becoming a member together. So we can better influence the future of sober living. Since sober living homes are largely unregulated, it is vital that we as an industry remain vigilant in self-policing to ensure high quality and the standards of sober living homes are maintained. So let me give you a little insight to the 12-step recovery program world and the drug and alcoholism. Um, drug addicts and alcoholics absolutely are the worst pe- people in the world to self-regulate. Hence mm-hmm. the problem that got them there. All right. You know, so you so you have so you, once again you can't put the uh, Dracula in charge of, of the blood bank. It just doesn't work usually. Right. Well, now it the can fox work. The fox in charge of the hen house, right? The old saying, the fox in charge. The fox in charge of because it, it does work once again if somebody's taking the time. And you know, even then, they still cha- they're still challenged by their own addiction, their own disease, um, where somebody has gone and gotten an education, you know. And once again, whether it's Nardi or CCAP, the Consortium for Counselors of Addiction and Treatment um, in California, um, you've got literally no over you've got very little oversight. But yet, those are for the treatment centers. And now CCAP is actually going out and has for, for quite a few years now and certified sober living homes. And once again, when I say so certified, um, what does that mean? 
Well, they've got a code, a code of ethics, um, you know, and that code of ethics is um, we talk about they talk about quality standards, inspections, members and operators, and ethically signing a code of ethics governing conduct towards each other and their residents. But once again, um, without any accountability, if we watch what goes on in our government and our society today, the only way anything ever happens is a by bringing the problem to 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 you know to the forefront or above the horizon, and then secondly, right. enough people have to say, hey, that's not the right way, that's the wrong way, and what we need to do is we've got to make a change, and if we don't make a change, then nothing happens. Because it's, once again, if nothing happens, nothing happens. And if there's no accountability, so once again, is you've got a 12, most recovery homes or sober living homes are owned by people that are in the 12-step program. So when they're owned by somebody in the 12-step program, um, what is the measuring stick for how well or how well they're not doing? Once again, is if I take somebody that's 30, 60, 90 days with no education, no training, well, once again, is what screening do they actually get, and who's you know once again, and who's to, who's doing that training? Um, if you sell insurance or you sell real estate, um, you know you've got a certain number of hours that you've got to do. If you're a CPA or an accountant or just even do tax returns, you've got to be up to date on certain codes. Right. Well, right. you know, sober livings, sober livings. You know, do you you know the first thing I would say is well, you know, who's on staff? that actually have CPR, no CPR, in case somebody falls, gets hurt, or whatever. Who's got any crisis training? Who knows, who knows anything? And the other big problem is that with um, the crystal uh, meth problem and the opiate addiction is you've got a lot of these uh, people that are going in these places that are also have what we call dual diagnose. So they have a drug and alcohol and probably some mental health problems. So now you know, do I have a drug addict? in my neighborhood or a alcoholic in my neighborhood, I could possibly have a, somebody that has some mental health challenges in my neighborhood. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then I've also got some violent or nonviolent and some that may or may not have committed any sexual crimes in my neighborhood as well. And I've got nobody with any real qualifications babysitting him. Because yeah, yeah, there's, mind, yeah, there's nobody. No, there's nobody who is able zero. to handle a mental health. And, and I think that a lot of them, well, there's a certain percentage that is, and so now you have uh, just an AA member who, and, and then you have, and those managers, I mean, I've seen that where they're not somebody, some of them might have somebody with a lot of experience, but there's no there's no oversight by anybody. But, but once again, they're no not bound. You know, right, there's no requirements there's, for anything. There's no requirements. You know, one of the things, you know, if we talk a second about the correlation and the connection with 13-step, uh, the movie and sexual predators and alcoholics anonymous is, you know, if I tell you where, you know, once again, in some states, um, you know, if you're a recovery home, you know, it's just mandated that you the that the six people, the people living in the home, have to go to a 12-step program. Well, a lot uh-huh. of these programs, i.e., the Pointy House um, and Carl Mark Morris, who's got, you know, uh, himself 30 years of, of sobriety supposedly, and you know. He wants to be able to tell people, well, you've got to go to my meeting, and you have to go to these meetings at this place, and you've got to sit here. Well, you know, when you get into that, that's no longer a residential living situation. Right. When I tell you, or I take, or I take your telephone, um, more importantly, one of the things that happens is, and where we're seeing a lot of deaths in the marketplace, uh-huh. is when somebody gets displaced from a sober living. And uh-huh. what does that look like? Well, people, if they drink or use drugs, they're not allowed to stay on the property. They got to leave. Well, hold a second here. You, you're talking about a. It's no longer like-minded people because, as, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm in a 12-step program, um, and I've been drunk at my own home. At, you know, and had one of my family members say, "Hey, you're drunk. Go to bed." Mm-hmm. They didn't say, "Hey, you're drunk. You're leaving the house. You can't right. come back." And by, right, by right. the way, when you come back, everything you own is going to be on your, the curb. And we never want you back in our house. Now, once again, is if somebody's done something wrong, or they've caused a physical altercation, it's once again mostly sober living homes. They're trained and they teach their people to never, ever call the police. Really? Why? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, think about this. Is, uh, you know, I used to own a couple of restaurants, and, you know, one of the things that, you, you know, we would tell the people is, A, you'll call from your cell phone, never call from the landline. And the reason being is because the Alcohol and Beverage Control Board, they look at the number of 911 calls in association to your liquor license. And if you have a lot of complaints and a lot of 911 calls, then you might not be a good operator. And, and that's usually pretty much the case. The more the police yeah. show up, then usually, usually means that, that somebody, something's going on. And, that, you know, and once again, whether it's drug use in the house, drinking in the house, um, once again, is, you know, um, depending on you know, if somebody's newly sober, and let's say it's Tommy, Tommy's the manager, and Tommy's got 90 days, and Tommy decides that you know, in 90 days, I'm going to jump into a, uh, a romantic relationship with Susie, who you know, goes to the same Milano club, and she's not talking to me or treating me the way she is. So now I'm in a bad mood, and now I start picking on all the other residents because guess what I don't have? I don't have any training, and I have no separation from the people that I live with and the conditions that I live in. Wow. And when you, when, you take, when, you take, when you take four, five, six people and you stick them in a room and you tell them they have to go to the same place on a daily basis, well, once again, that's treatment. It's not sober living. Sober living means is that it's a like-minded people agreeing not to use drugs or alcohol, what do you call it, a sober home or, you know, I'm from the Bible Belt. We used to call this Christian home. We didn't have alcohol in the house. You know, no one drank. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know, but, it, but you know, once again, that, that didn't mean, and some of my favorite stories um, are from preacher's kids. PK kids, you know, where they were out drinking and raising raising cane because that's just what happens, you know, because we have no control over what somebody else does. But once again, is are we operating a business or are we operating, a, you know, a, a place for people to live? And, you know, in theory, sober livings were supposed to be like-minded people living together. Mm-hmm. And what it's turned into is a very profitable business. Um, because is when the housing market turned and tanked, hey, listen, how do I pay a $4,000 a month mortgage? Well, if I've got a four-bedroom house, um, you know, this five or 6,000 square feet, and I pack in 25 to 28 people in it, and, I, and I'm, you know, at you know, $17,000 a month in, in revenue, um, and I don't have to actually, you know, um, you know, I don't have to have a business license. I have to have zero training. Um, and, and really, all I have to do is pretend um, that, you know, the, the sober home I was talking about earlier, Cornerstone, you know, one of the things they're not supposed to do is, based on California statute, is have more than a certain number of people come and visit the home at any one time or mm-hmm. actually have people attend a 12-step meeting at the home because, is, once again, if I've got people coming to my house on a regular basis and it's a regular meeting, well, you know, that's, that's an over-influx of stress and parking on the neighborhood, and it's not being a good neighbor, you know. Um, it's different if you've got six or seven people that come together once a month for a book club, but if you've got 12 people coming, and the problem is uh, smoking, vaping, uh, loud music, uh, um, and I don't know if you've ever been to a 12-step meeting, but, you know, there's usually some curse words too. Um, yeah, so you, yeah, you I, I, I have because I used to be in AA. But I want to ask you some questions because you said some, you know, pretty serious things there, and I was just taking some notes. So they don't need a business license, and they're running a business. How can they be running a business that you need? Um, what is this? The National Sober Living um, Association. So what is an association for if they those people who own those sober livings? Don't need a business license. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, okay. I, I agree. Mark. All right. Well, I know you know. Yeah. Like we were. Okay. Now here's another point, though, that Wendy McIntyre, who I've had on, who um, lost her son, and she's become a big time advocate. Um, I don't think she can call in, but that she's taught me a few things. So let's talk about insurance. Now, so you have to have Joe Schmo. Let's just say Joe Schmo owns this place, and um, we'll call it. Um, Bill's house, okay? And this yeah. is just a sober living. It doesn't have a license. Do they have insurance? You know, I have, I have oh, a that's house, That's a great question. Right? I have to have... You, you carry, home, you, you, you carry homeowner's insurance. 
Frederick, Frederick. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, homeowners insurance, right? We need yeah. earthquake insurance. So just homeowners. Really? They're, what if somebody slips and falls in there? What if somebody dies in there? Um, that's a great question. And what most of whether it's uh, CCAP, the National Sober Living Association, or the Sober Living Network, or the three entities, or even now there's another one, the National Res- uh, Recovery Residence Association um, at, at a national level, is the first thing they require you to be a member, you've got to carry a liability and policy. Now, the, the, the irony of this is in the Puente House situation, Carl Morris, yeah, Carl Morris is, okay, is the one that actually sells you the insurance. So he provides a website to where he's supposedly helping you market your business. He then sells you the insurance to say that you're now certified. Um, if you go to the National Sober Living Association website and you look at all the people that – and this organization has only been around for less than – since 2018. On um, their website, they claim that they've been around for 2016. They say that they're a nonprofit. Um, and one of the things that they do that's fairly interesting is that if you go to their website and you look at all the homes that are, that are actually um, members, uh, they're all board members, all the rest of them are people that um, Carl Morris had sold insurance to. And they were giving a free membership. So once again, you've got when we talk about, you know, when I go to find a place online and this association it's saying it's providing a safe and healthy and well-managed. Well, you know, once again, I travel a lot to China, and my favorite restaurant in China is McDonald's because I know exactly what I'm going to get at McDonald's in China, mm-hmm. you know. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, who's to determine what's a well-run business? What's not a well-run business? What's, what's healthy and what's unhealthy? You know, mm-hmm. um, they all sign this code of ethics that they won't have financial interest, uh, they won't have romantic interest, and they won't have mm-hmm. sexual interest in any of their clients as well. Um, and that almost ve- that very rarely happens. Um, so let's see. Oh, hold on a second. This, so if this is a nonprofit. It's got an ORG after yep. it. Then this, then their tax return yep. has to be public. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, the uh, the National Sober Living Association hasn't paid it. Um, the the um, the sober living network actually lost its profit um, its nonprofit status because of a mismanagement and you know a bad oversight. So and once again, a lot of times you once again the self policing aspect comes into play, where you know um, one of the biggest defenses, hey, we're just all volunteers trying to help out. Well, hold on a second here. Um, I don't want a volunteer policeman. Coming to you know a crime, you know trying to you know investigate a murder, I you know I, I you know if I go to a uh, see you know if I've got to have back surgery I don't want a volunteer surgeon, you know I just don't I want right, a, right. a trained professional that's going to be able to handle and be able to ascertain all situations, you know I, when you talk about ethics you know you know and yeah. if we're talking about the opiate uh, problem today. Well, you know, the first question that I have that you st- very rarely do you see on anybody's website is Narcan on site and train personnel that knows how to use it. Because, is, you know, if we look at the statistics from 12-step programs, um, it's got a 95% failure rate. Let me say that right. again. Right. 95% failure. So that means in numbers term, we've got a 5% success ratio. So that means – Nine out of ten people are going to fail, and if we're talking about an opiate, opiate addiction, so that means somebody at some point in time is more than likely going to drink or use drugs on your property. Well, how is that person able to handle that? You know, Once again, police officers and first responders, they're all trained how to deal with an, a, a drug overdose, and they're all well trained on how to actually deal with the intoxicated person and able to be able to pick up the signs. You know, I mean, the biggest thing that police are struggling with today is how do we ascertain if somebody's actually under the influence? You know, we think about uh, the the 502 term here in California years ago meant somebody that was drunk driving. Uh-huh. Well, today we call that under the influence. Well, you know, how do I actually determine if I'm 30 days or 60 or 90 days sober um, 
and I barely, I'm barely learning how to chew bubble gum and walk myself at the same time. How in God's green earth am I going to determine if somebody's high or not high? Or actually, you know, do I test everybody when they come home? Well, you know, once again, if I do, based on the statistics that they supply from the Drug and Alcohol um, uh, 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 um, National Drug and Alcohol uh, uh, Commission, it is 95% failure ratio. So that means if I've got 20 residents, that means only four are usually going to stay sober. Now, we don't know whether it's for five months, six months, or whatever. So you've got people that are now using drugs and alcohol in the community in, in the community in which they live and with no oversight. And you've got no one there trained to actually teach or help these people on, you know, what happens if there's a emergency situation. Yeah, you know what else, you know, too? You I, got me reading this yeah. uh, the piece that's on the the bill that passed – and uh, there's some $12 million that was allotted for this. So you can see all these greedy right. people um, going for making their – this is just Santa Clara. I'm looking up the one, and it brought up Santa Clara's county um, project. Like, just to give an example, got $12 million for the fiscal year of 11 and 12. And then, you know, it, it shows $886,000 for training and startup costs and a one-time allocation – for $200,000 for planning expenses. And then it talked about, it never mentions AA in, uh, like there's pages yeah. and pages. It keeps talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, evidence-based, and you and I both know that AA and 12-step is nothing to do with evidence-based whatsoever. But that, that that's the, the jargon. But what's even more scary, Patrick, is that there's a list of, really high-level people from the chief probation to a presiding judge to the county yep. supervisor to the district attorney to the public defender, sheriff, the chief of police, the head of the county department of social services, the head of the county of mental health, the county department of employment, um, the county of alcohol and substance abuse programs, the county of education, a representative from community-based organ. I mean, this is like oh, you know, a lot of people at a very high Whoa. level know exactly – Okay, they know exactly what's going on then. That you're going to well, take look, these people. These are just people. These are people from prison. That these are supposed yeah. to be nonviolent, right? And non nonviolent, yeah. non-sexual offenses that are going to get streamed into these places with just average Sally or Joe from the neighborhood that might have an alcohol drug problem who wanted to, or or from Ohio where the mother and father were told, oh, send them to California. They can help them there. Well, Let's let's talk let's talk about the there's also a further burden that's put on the community and the state of California here in California, um, and I'll use the uh, Pointy House as an example. The Pointy House um, takes they've got three houses a woman's house and two men's houses, and you know they promote um, you know in the business people that are in the house and in recovery to assistant manager. And eventually become a manager. What you actually get paid is um, four hundred dollars if you're the manager and free rent. If you're not, if you're the assistant manager, you get some some rent, not, some money taken off your rent. So you either have volunteer base or you've got people being paid under the table. Now some of these managers, because they're not qualified or haven't got the the where for all or the the recovery process hasn't taken hold yet, so their only job is to manage other people in this house, and well, how do they live? I've got free rent and four hundred. I don't know anybody that can live off of in California off of a hundred dollars a week. Well, they do this wonderful thing that when you check into a lot of these houses, oh, you've got no money and no job. Great, let's take you down to GR. We'll get you signed up for food stamps, and we'll get you signed up for, um, you know, uh, food stamps and general relief. So I now have two hundred dollars a month in food, and I've got $200 a month in cash, and I get $400 a month from my boss who's paying nothing to run his business. But, you know, he wants to call it a business, but, you know, once again, a restaurant that opens up, he's got to pay minimum wage whether they make it or not. You know, you're guaranteed minimum wage if you go as a waiter at any restaurant. Well, wow. so, so there's, a know, of, you, there's actually some. Well, we can talk about the, when uh, you know yeah. laws, real laws that are in place that somebody could get you know 
closed down for or shut down for. Let's talk about. Um, so this is one thing that Wendy had taught me. So you you get a, a loan for a house. So when you buy a house, yeah. that's going to get turned into a. You, you know, one of this person knows that they're going to open up Bill's house. Let's call it, and he. Yeah. You have to put on that well, look, mortgage I'll, I'll on that deed. Example. Let's talk about the the, the property in Covina called Cornerstone. Okay. The uh, manager and owner of Cornerstone property is it um, is on uh, – I forget the name of the street the house is on. Is he bought the house, and it was uh, on a VA loan, and it was supposed to be lived in. He never lived in it, never intended to live in it, and eventually the neighbors complained so often and so many times, and the police were there, and they had converted shacks into – or in, in barns into living conditions, and – so eventually the city came in and shut them down, and when he tried to argue, they said, hey, we've got your mortgage papers here. You can either get prosecuted for a mortgage fraud um, because you have to claim what that property is going to be used for, or you can sell it and move on. Uh, Wells Fargo was involved in that, and that's the one thing that Wendy, um, is, is, you know, coming from the mortgage business, she was very, very astute on that, which a mm-hmm. lot of these people – aren't honest with the if they take a loan out on the property they're not right. being honest with with the mortgage company and, and actually committing mortgage fraud um you know so who would you and, call and then the game, you just call your well, well, call well, the well, you, you you actually what you have to do is just do a little homework and you find out if there is a mortgage on the property through a title search and then you call up whoever owns the uh the actual mortgage and say hey you know did you know this property is being used as sober living no this is supposed to be, you know, a VA loan or XYZ loan, and somebody, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's supposed to be, uh, you know, supposed to only be used as a single-family residence, um, you know. And, and once again, is here's my big stipulation: is if it's just like-minded people, well, if the owner doesn't live there, what is it? It's a business, and why is it the sober living business? You know, um, you know. It, let's talk about the construction industry for a second. You know, in the construction industry, if I go to contractor school and get my contractor's license and I uh, buy a a truck and I insure that truck and I get my license and I get the insurance and everything else, my operating costs are going to be why. The guy that just does work off the back of his pickup truck and has no license and has no um, insurance, well, you know, he can do that for X. Well, of course he can do it for a lot cheaper. Because he's not playing fairly. You know, why is it every other business, once again, if we take the nail salon, a nail salon's got to get a license. You know, they, everybody in the place has to be a licensed and trained. They come and they inspect the place. Same thing with the restaurant. You know, and one thing else is, you know, where, where – and one thing that's happened and, you know, has happened to me as well, if you complain about a place, about a property too long and too often, mm-hmm. um, they try to sue you for defamation. They sue you for libel and slander if you say that they're doing certain things, and which they are. The only way they can defend it is try and create a slap, a strategic lawsuit against public participation, because it, you know they're they're not supposed to be a business, but yet they are. I don't know of any other industry that's generating uh, the billions of dollars uh, that sober living homes generate, and they have zero oversight. Zero, and then the other the the, the, the other big oh, the other big fraud that, that has occurred is, you know, everybody everybody loves Salvation Army and the bell ringers at Christmas time. You know why? We know why? when we put money in that kettle that it's going to actually house people. And you go down to the Salvation Army, you see the building, you see the people, you see them being helped, and they get recovered. And you know, you see the thrift stores and things like that. And there's a complete accountability. Well, let's just say we'll use uh, Pointy House as an example. The Pointy House has a foundation. Um, the founders and, and board member and most of the board members of the National Silver Living Association, they all own the properties that they claim to be nonprofit foundations. So, you know, under IRS laws is when you actually own a property and you, you know, what's called a disqualified person. So when I go out into the community and say, hey, let's help the drug addicts. Let's help the alcoholics. Let's give them a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And please donate to me. Well, that donation goes to create somebody's real estate portfolio. You know, and I don't want to get into politics here, but what's the biggest complaint 
that everybody has about our, our, our president right now is, hey, he's been profiting off of the presidency. You know, all these Russian deals and this, that, and the other. Well, hold right, on a right. second here. You know, is, you know, why is it do I get to go to a 12-step community or go to the community and say, hey, please donate. So, you know, once again, you know, because the Salvation Army, I know what they're doing. Every dollar that goes in there is to provide for a bed and modest salaries. Well, uh-huh. if I've got a foundation that's attached to my sober living home, well, guess what I don't do? I keep it as a sole proprietorship. The reason I keep it as a sole proprietorship is because is if I file as a C-Corp, an S-Corp, or as an LLC, all that banking and all my information becomes public. And the one thing nobody ever wants to know is how much money or how much cash places these generate. Well, you know, a lot of these businesses actually prefer to be paid in what? Cash. Because why? Because most of these people in a lot of these sober families, that it's not on the high end where the insurance uh, is involved. Um, a lot of these businesses operate cash because a lot of these people get paid, and they got to go to a check cashing place and cash their check and then give the money to the, the home that they live in. So he's now taking cash. So, A, they don't have to have any regulations, any licensing, anything of that. And the government has no idea how much cash they are generating or are generating. Name one business where they don't oversee that. Uh, you know, when I owned a restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, the uh, franchise tax board came in and said, hey, you know, we have a, a per drink tax. So for every drink you serve based uh-huh. off your computer, you've got to pay us X amount of dollars. Well, you know, the when you think about board and care, the next thing, or what's a big complaint that all municipalities have today with Airbnb? What about all these people generating all these revenue, and we're not getting any tax dollars? Mm-hmm. And these people are coming into the community and putting and using resources in our community. Now, they, they, if they're vacation, they might be bringing revenue as well. But when somebody doesn't have a lot of money to begin with, is you know they're they're actually a strain on the community. So wait, hold a second. So the perfect picture is, let's see. So I can come up with seven hundred dollars a month. To live, I can use GR to feed myself and have a few dollars in my pocket somehow, um, you know, and guess who's getting rich? Sober living person, by the way, who most of them are actually supposed to be or claim to be sober in a 12-step program. And I thought the purpose of a 12-step program, catch me if I, you know, um, you know, call me crazy, but the whole point to when you got sober was to change your behavior and to have integrity and to do the right thing. And, you know, to pay, to pay the people that, you, you know, if somebody's going to do a job, pay them a fair wage. We don't right. pay them under the table. We, you know, um, and, and, and it's really a cultural thing that happens, which is, you know, if we change hats here and we talk about, you know, what's the, the biggest concern that people, A, with sex trafficking, A, it's horrible, B, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, billions of dollars of spent, and there's no revenue that's generated back into the government, and it's just a, uh, an unbelievable drain on the community. Well, you know, okay, again, hold, hold, on a, hold on a second, Patrick, because yeah. we only have like like uh, ten, twelve minutes left. All right, so you're a lot of, lot of information, you know, you're dumping out there with the, maybe some people that are like brand new to hear this, and I have to tell you that listening to you. And I have listened to Daniela, who I had on, and Wendy, that it feels like a rabbit hole, very similar, but a lot worse than with AA. When I was, you know, making my film and and finding out how big the web of Alcoholics Anonymous and how deep it is involved in our culture and entertainment and in our government, those people who are in it, right? But as I'm listening to you, we've talked about this many times now, and you've sent me a lot of information. Um, One is I want to say something. One, I want to ask you a question, because some of the illegal activity that I've been made aware of in other parts of the city was, so you have a sober living, and they um, are taking people to an outpatient, right? So they're forcing them. Great question. Right. Do you, talk, do you have anything you'd want to say yeah, on that? Um, yeah. So, so let, let, let's let's um, let me paint a picture here for you. Is here here in uh, in the Covina community. In the Covina community, you have a a, a psychiatric and drug and alcohol treatment uh, hospital called Aurora Charter Oak. Aurora Charter Oak Hospital 
um, has a um, you know a uh, drug and alcohol uh, director. That director happens to be on the uh, Pointy House Foundation, or was. Uh, um, I don't know if he still is. And what happens is somebody comes in that let's say has no money. So you know, once again, is now the big thing is is you know you can have a drug and alcohol problem, um, but more importantly. Um, is if you're dual diagnosed, is right away Medi-Cal, Medi-Cal is going to pick up that bill. So, really? So you spend a, yeah, so you spend a week in, in treatment for psychosis, for drug and alcohol problems, and then what happens is, you know, it's, that's $1,000 a day plus to house somebody in a hospital. Well, what um, a lot of these hospitals do, including Charter, says, hey, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, excuse me, take a step more there. Um, Medicaid, Medi-Cal is only going to pay for a week or three or uh-huh. four days. Um, but, hey, by the way, we've got a sober living that we can send you to, uh-huh. you know. So we'll send you to, let's say, the Pony House. And the Pony House, because Charter Hospital gives Pony House money to the foundation. So the foundation then pays for the bed. So, so meaning is that the, the foundation would pay the seven hundred, the three if it's for two weeks, they'll pay the three, the or, or the seven hundred, either three fifty or seven hundred, and then what they do is then the van, because once again is the Medicaid Medi-Cal would pay a longer period of time for out intensive outpatient therapy. Are you, are you following me so far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happens with the intensive? So then. The resident is checked into the pointy house, and that resident is then picked up by van um, and taken to Charter Hospital where they go through groups all day, get the free lunch, you know, which is not really free because the great people of California are paying for it. Oh, my God. And I'm not, say, I, I, and I'm not saying that that individual doesn't need that treatment, but there exists a very quasi-bizarre relationship between how Charter Hospital gets paid and how – the found the Pony House Foundation pays its its owner because it's whether it's seven hundred dollars, he doesn't care whether it's money from you know cash money or money from the foundation that's been doted by by Charter Hospital. It's all the same to him because he's still getting the same rack rate that you would, you know. And, and the great thing about it is that at a ninety five percent success ratio, a lot of times they're renting, uh, you know, or are leasing or selling these beds a couple times a month. So when you look at the rack rate is sometimes, hey, my rent's only $700 per bed, but I might be able to rent out that same bed three times in a month based on the supply and demand because it's what happens is if the resident relapses, gets tossed out, bring a new resident in, another $700. He relapses, throw him out, bring somebody else in. He relapses, throw him out. So that's illegal to do that. Talk talk to our listener about how it's illegal to throw them out. Um, once again, is is if the client has established residency in the state of California, if you've been somewhere for more than 28 days, I believe it is, or 30 days, is you're considered a resident. If I go and live with my sister in Culver City and I'm there for 30 days and we have a fight on the 35th day, and she calls the police, and the police say, hey, you know, um, you know, uh, Mr. Church, you know, what seems to be the problem? Oh, well, my sister Shannon here is, you know, she wants me to leave, but I'm not leaving because I, I live here now. Well, you know what the police say? That's a civil matter. Shannon, you know, you're going to have to go down to the courthouse and file papers and get, give him a 30-day uh, notice to leave the property. Well, what happens is when you go into these sober living homes, they make you sign a contract that's, null, that's actually null and void. Because it's, and then when the police show up, if you're drunk or intoxicated, they say, hey, you're loaded. You've got to leave because you violated one of the house rules. Well, hold on a second here. You're being protected as a class under a real estate, you know, under a real estate, a protected class under a real estate, uh, uh, you know, law. But yet you don't get to, you're not afforded the same legal rights that, you know, Somebody squatting on your home, Doug. If somebody so squatting people don't your house, know. Hold, you know what? Hold on a second. Hold yeah. on, Patrick, because yeah. Wendy called in. Let's let's bring her in. We yeah. only have a few minutes left. Okay. 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 Uh, Wendy, are you there? I am. Wendy? Thank you oh so, God, so much. So I wasn't sorry. sure if I was going to yes. be able to. Uh, 
Yes, say hi to you guys. Sorry, I just saw you. Hi there. We have hi, Ms. McIntyre. How are you? I'm good. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible show. Um, what, an, what an incredible guest you have, what a, a wealth of information. And I just can't. I just can't thank you enough, Patrick, for putting it into words. Um, it's it, it's uh, sober living is a very interesting animal, and I know this unfortunately because my son died in one in 2004. And throughout the whole show, you've been talking a lot about the business, and mm-hmm. it's truly a business. It's a cash cow business, as you said, Patrick. Mm-hmm. And 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 we, you were just you're just tipping. Uh, the, the, you know the tip of the iceberg when you talk about and Monica you as you were naming them this agency and that place and that place what you end up having having is this group of people that are basically being human trafficked and what sober living used to be is no longer what it is I'm going to yeah. try to find the right words oh yeah totally but, mm-hmm. One of the things that I have a problem with is this, is that in today's treatment in the world, the way it's set up, you have yourself a detox license, and after a three- to seven-day detox, what the owners of these facilities are doing is that they have one license for a detox, but then they have 19 other houses, and they just are sober living houses. And what they're doing is they're basically utilizing sober living homes as an arm of this treatment program. Now, when you do that, it becomes an issue. And the biggest issue I have is this, is that you don't have to report deaths at sober living homes. So you can't really understand the magnitude of a problem unless you understand that people are dying daily, okay? And they're paying for that second set of eyes. And that's that's outrageous to me. So I, I just wanted to say a couple of things because I know yes. that this is a, a it's a, an hour long podcast, and we should go ahead and you know do the rest of the story because I really want to hit a very important point, and this is this: if in fact the house where people are quote unquote, and this is the state's words, not mine, where quote unquote people are sleeping at night and they don't need a license because no licensable services are being provided. I say this, when you walk out of a detox and you've come in on one drug and you're put on 16 others and you go to that sober living home, guess what? In the morning and at night, you are handed medication. Now, if they were to put that medication in a cup and hand it to you, that would be a licensable service. Therefore, Mm -hmm. they would need a license. Right. And potentially a nurse or somebody like a nurse who's passing that out. Well, they avoid that by allowing everyone to just open their own bottles and self-administer. And by doing that, you are now um, you you now have this opportunity where you could actually have state licensing oversight. Not that mm-hmm. it's the best oversight, but it's it's where we shall <clears throat> begin. And right. the biggest issue, like I said, is that they don't have to report debts, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, why? You make a great point, which is not only do they not have to report death, but, you know, you, you're, you know, whether it's a lawyer that you have the bar association where you can see how many times people have complained about them, you know, anything of that nature. You've experienced, I've experienced, if you speak out against them, they try to use a lawsuit quiet about the number of times the police have been called, the number of times people have overdosed in that house. You know, they don't want you to know anything negative about it or the neighbors to know about it. And most of these places train their so-called managers how not to be able to get the police involved or to defer that, um, you know, a, a different way. So so that there's no accountability or, or oversight of what's really going on with that, you know. Because, once again, it's one of the things when you go to renew your liquor license, they ask you, hey – you know, they've got a record. How many times the police have been called to your location? Right Wait, here, you know what, that's just different... common sense, Patrick. And you know what, here's the deal. Even at a treatment facility, okay, I've got over a period of from from 2014 to 2017, I had uh, oh, hundreds of 911 calls, okay? And you made a point earlier about, you know, there should be a correlation between 911 calls and that operator, uh, because clearly they're Correct. not doing it right. 
Okay. Or, or, if, you know, listen, if there's an ambulance the rolling up every right, other week. Are, are, there, day. are there so-called trained professionals aren't doing it right? You know? Correct. And once again, if we, go, if we go back to the very beginning of this is, you know, this is supposed to be six people living in a residence that are like-minded, mm-hmm. not a business. And that's why, the, you know, and that's how they're able to under, fly underneath the radar of federal or state or local regulations. You know, because of the protected class, ooh, we're alcoholics, you can't sue us, or we're drug addicts, you can't sue us. And by the way, you know, the people that own the house are making a ton of money, um, and none of that's really going back in, you know, for taxes or for other resources. Uh, it's just no, it's another NIMBY. And, it, yeah, it's a not yeah. in my backyard issue instead of a public safety issue. Correct. Hold on a second, because this is really, really maddening for me, Wendy, and it's got to be make you want to just like scream from the top of the hills. But when I was reading that article, that it started out with the girl who um, I know, uh, a young woman, right, who was in a scared straight program, and then the link, I don't know, somehow I or somebody posted the link about the story about the reporter. Um, journalist slash whatever who wrote that whole piece on Synanon. And as a result of reading, did you read the, that story about Synanon and the history of it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. So, Wendy, did you say yes to? No. Okay. So you no, have, but I watched uh, the GW. You, you brought me into the GW YouTube, and that blew my mind. But, but, but listen, this is directly related. Now, it's my my podcast said that it's over, but it's still recording. So let's just finish talking, and if if it's still on the end, um, that we'll have to, you know, we'll go continue the show anyway. But let's finish talking. What was so shocking was they talked about how the governor, and it was Jerry Brown's father. Is that right? Was he once the governor of California? Yeah, Pat Brown. He, yes. Part, yes. he made, uh, you know, this makes me really see how fucked up it is here. He made a pass that drug and alcohol treatment, never mind the fucking sober living places, right? That they didn't need to be have the oversight of. I mean, if I wish I could, I, I should get this uh, um, the story up, but uh, it it was so shocking to see where it, it began, which was either the 50s or was it the 60s, 1960s. So from that point on, there were people who thought that Synanon, when they were screaming at people, shaving their heads, acting cult-like, thug-like, like we see in actual some treatment today, you know, with ex-cons running sober living, they're, you know, they have no degree, they have no education, they call themselves drug counselors, they work with famous people. You know, we all knew who I'm talking about, but then other people who maybe aren't so famous, but that as far back as the 60s, they allowed these drug and alcohol treatment to not have any oversight. But guess what it said in that article? That's not true for mental health, and you cannot treat the mental health. So we go Which brings after the them. point up in the, Monica. Health. If that's true, if that's true, then here's the thing. The only way that treatment is getting paid for nowadays is because of the Affordable Care Act in 2014 required that if you want addiction treatment paid for, you have to be duly diagnosed. So there you go. You have to be treated. You have to be diagnosed with bipolar depression, anxiety. Okay, it has to have a code. Uh, you know, you started hearing it from Dr. Phil's mouth. Dual diagnosis. Yes. Dual diagnosis. So there it is. If that's true, then what, what we've done is we bled into the mental. It's it's all a mental health issue. You see. So maybe there's I'd someone like to on the book. Read that could... article and and do another podcast. That would be cool. Yeah, let's just I do agree. that. I'll send you the link. And okay, do you, that. Uh, and I'm, I just want to, just in case it still is recording, um, I want to mm-hmm. thank Patrick for being on tonight. We'll do another show. We can pick another evening next week or a day, Wendy. That's good for both of you guys. Yes. And have cool. you on for the whole time, talking about the situation because we have to figure. Uh, some kind of, a, not a loophole, but somewhere to pin one dot on the wall and begin. And if that is, you need a license. That's it. 
you know, yeah, but here's, here's the problem. You know, the state points to the county, and the county points to the city, and here's the thing. Everybody's reinventing the wheel, okay? And so you, 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 get, you get a city that has balls, that has the ability to stand up and, and, and create some, some type of oversight, they'll just move to the next city. So we really, you're right, we need to have a pin. <laughs> it needs to be, yeah. you know, and... One and, thing, and, a state thing, or a federal, like uh, every, every one of them. I've always believed that the, the National Department of Treatment and Sober Living... This is a health and human service issue. This isn't a Department of Healthcare service, you know, med- drug medical issue. So I really think we need to, you know, really it, it, embrace it, it, that. It, when, when you, it's not an issue, but that's where a lot of the funding is coming from at the lower end of it. A lot of the funding. I mean, did you hear the number that I said? So it's like twelve million, but they're calling it all evidence-based, and there's no evidence-based going on. And yet you have the top of the tier of government. Involved in this, in this public safety alliance, AB 109. Yes, insurance won't pay unless it's a 12-step based program. At this point, you know, it's 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 a fascinating it's a fascinating subject. Uh, Oh my God! Truly is. I want to tell you, everybody, if you're still listening, if it's still getting recorded, so we have Wendy McIntyre, which is all she just came in at the end of the show, and she has a page, Jared's Law, for her son. Um, who died in a sober living up in was this the one the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, California? Yeah, in the San Fernando Valley. Yes. Yeah, called the safe house. Ironically, you're not safe at the safe house. You know, you really aren't Why? safe at the safe house if you don't have safe You're not safe, safe in any sober living. You're not safe <laughs> in any sober living because you got once again Dracula. You know, they got the fox guarding the hen house. Oh my God! At this point, all right, everybody. Right. Well, thank we'll you for joining us tonight. Thank you so tonight. much for we'll letting me in. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Good luck, everyone. Bye bye. Next, uh, the next bad channel, the next bad station. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can find me at Leaving AA, or you can find me at the podcast here, which is uh, Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. And I'm Monica Richardson. I'm your host. And the 13th step is available right now just on Vimeo as we figure out the stuff going on with Amazon. Talk to you next week. Good night, everybody.